Hey, if you were injured in a car crash, slip and fall, or on the job, you need a law firm that's big enough to challenge the largest insurance companies and corporations. Morgan & Morgan has nearly 500 attorneys throughout the country, and they've recovered billions of dollars for clients like you. Get America's largest personal injury law firm to fight for you with no upfront costs. And it's free unless they win. Visit ForThePeople.com. And now, let's start Not Sam Wrestling. This is Not Sam Wrestling. Introducing your host from New York, here is Sam Roberts. Hey, 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 welcome to Not Sam Wrestling. Coming to you from the Not Sam Studios in beautiful Westchester, New York. Welcome. Leading to a pay-per-view week. It's another go-home Not Sam Wrestling podcast. Please don't make any jokes about how I should go home. It's unkind. And it's unbecoming of you, quite frankly. Uh, it's going to be a fun show. We've got a lot to talk about in State of Wrestling. WWE inching more and more towards the mainstream with inclusion in the ESPYs, of course. We're going to dig into uh, All Out, selling out AEW's second pay-per-view, technically. Some people talk like it's their third pay-per-view, but it's their second pay-per-view. Uh, All In was not an AEW pay-per-view, but it's, uh, it is the anniversary of All In. It's All Out in Chicago, and it is sold out, so we'll talk about that. Uh, of course, we're going to get every, into everything stomping grounds. Uh, I appreciate all the kind words on the Joey Ryan interview that we aired last week. It was really interesting, really interesting conversation to have with Joey Ryan. And one of the things that stuck out to me was him talking about uh, how he wouldn't be allowed to do everything that he has been doing, even in AEW. You know, you hear those conversations and say, well, Joey Ryan, you know, he could never be the same Joey Ryan in WWE. We have yet to have heard any sort of... uh, creative handcuffs that AEW would ever apply to anybody. And Joey Ryan, to me, is the first person that I've read where you go, yeah, I mean, you can't do uh, wiener suplexes on a mainstream primetime television, weeknight television show. And I said, okay, that makes sense. He didn't say it in those many words, but he said, that the Joey Ryan of AEW would have to be a different Joey Ryan than the one that's been around for all these years, and he's just not ready to make that change. And, you know, I can't say that I don't understand where he's coming from. I think that the idea that Joey Ryan may be the man to kind of set the stage to uh, show what the next, next, next generation of independent wrestling is going to look like. You know, throughout the years, I was thinking about a lot about independent wrestling. Um, it's uh, I record this on Wednesday, obviously, to come out Thursday morning, but uh, I, I believe either today or yesterday was the anniversary of Trent Acid's death. Uh, Trent Acid was a mainstay on the United States independence, and he was international too, but he was, he was huge in the U.S. Indies uh, in the late 90s, but really early 2000s. Uh, I met him a little bit and knew him a little bit uh, when he was working in Jersey All Pro um, in the probably in the early part of this decade, I want to say. Um, and he was such a huge influence. He was such an important part of the independence. There are some guys who, you know, 
I, I almost feel like they get forgotten, even though they have these spots and these moments where they are as important as anybody has ever been in independent wrestling, at least in the moment. And that goes for uh, Trent Acid. That also goes for guys like Reckless Youth. I mean, there are all these guys who have all this buzz about them and have all this excitement about them on the independents, but they never make it into WWE or WCW or ECW or AEW or any of the uh, uh, national mainstream wrestling promotions. And I almost feel like they're unfairly not talked about in history. And that's because they never quite had the eyes on them that I think they deserve. But I think every now and then it's important to take a trip down memory lane and think about the guys who were running the independents, the guys who were setting the pace for independent wrestling uh, throughout the years. You know, and that's what that's what got me thinking about Joey Ryan. I think Joey Ryan is a guy who can do that. You know, for going forward, he's been doing it obviously, but as independent wrestling changes and as AEW and NXT collect a lot of guys uh, and girls off the scene, I think Joey Ryan is a guy that's going to be uh, uh, keeping it relevant. I think you know, I, I look at guys like there's Joey Ryan, there's there's Orange Cassidy. I even was thinking about Marco Stunt recently, and I I kind of hope that some of these guys don't sign to either company just yet. You know, it's kind of nice when NXT, for instance, is able to sign, you know, an independent star with a whole bunch of buzz about them. The the Matt Riddles of the world, the Adam Coles of the world, the Kevin Steens of the world, the Genericos of the world, the Prince Devitts of the world, so that it's a big deal when they show up. You know, you want that scene Kushida's of the world. You want that, not that Kushida was independent. He was, he was uh, from New Japan, obviously, but you know what I'm saying. You want that scene of the guy sitting in the front row and you're going, oh my God, he's in NXT. I mean, who's going to forget that moment when Matt Riddle was the last one? To, uh, I believe Matt Riddle's first appearance was at the Barclays Center, sitting in the audience. And a year before that, it was Adam Cole showing up. And he wasn't sitting in the audience. He ran out and uh, did a run-in. But for Bobby Fish and Kyle O'Reilly, but you know, I, I just, I just think that the independents need to stay healthy, and it's guys like Joey Ryan who hopefully will keep them healthy. Uh, speaking of wrestling being healthy, I think wrestling is in a very, very healthy place. Uh, this week on the podcast, we have Drew McIntyre as the guest, who I absolutely love having on the show. Drew McIntyre is as passionate a performer as you're going to find in the world of wrestling. He he's grew up the biggest wrestling fan in the world. He's still the biggest wrestling fan in the world. He's one of these guys who just loves to talk about wrestling. I mean, I've had conversations with him, uh, you know, obviously off the air and, and backstage or wherever it is, wherever we've come and gone. And I, I really, what I really like about Drew McIntyre is this story that was kind of uh, um, told about him, about... You know, the story of him coming in to uh, uh, feeling like the locker room was being lazy, feeling like uh, more people needed to step up, feeling like, uh, you know, that there was a malaise setting over the WWE locker room. It wasn't a fake story. It wasn't false. That's really how 
I think Drew McIntyre felt and feels, and he gets into a little bit of that this week on the podcast when we talk to him. Uh, we did lose somebody uh, over uh, from the UK, uh, Adrian Leinhart McCollum, who uh, he, he had done stuff with uh, Insane Championship Wrestling. He had done stuff with a lot of different promotions, and I know I wasn't uh, as familiar with him as I now wish that I had been, but I know a lot of people... Um, that you would know were, were torn out. Corey Graves tweeted about it. Um, um, and I know that he was, I, I believe that uh, he was friends with Drew McIntyre. And so, you know, the question was, I, I believe Drew had just heard about this, about uh, Linehart passing away. And I, I reached out and said, look, we can postpone the interview. We don't have to do it. You know, I've got another interview that I can play instead. We don't, we can absolutely, I, you know, I, I would love to have, well, you know, I'd love to promote Stomping Ground, whatever. You can bring in somebody instead of Drew McIntyre, or I can run an interview I already have. We'll make it up next week, the week after, in a month, whatever. Whatever works. I'm not, you know, we're here to have fun. We're here to celebrate wrestling. If if real-life life gets in the way of that, we have to take care of our real-life life first. But, uh, you know, much to my uh, delight, Drew wanted to talk about wrestling. You know, he wanted to he wanted to get his mind. This it's the same position that a lot of us fans have been in. You want to get your mind off uh whatever real life stuff you're dealing with and wrestling becomes this great escape and whether that means watching wrestling, whether that means sitting down with a friend and talking about wrestling, that's why this stuff is there for us. Uh and so Drew McIntyre and me, we jumped on the horn and we just talked wrestling. We talked about the the journey that Drew McIntyre has been on. Uh we talked about uh, coming to NXT. We talked about showing up at uh, Pro Wrestling Gorilla PWG, and what that meant for him. We talked about leaving WWE. We talked about uh, the the main roster curse and why he was able to succeed coming from NXT, and other people haven't. And if there is a real curse, and and you know, we talked about the criticisms that WWE has right now, and and the ability that people have to survive, as well as the ability that people have to survive outside of the WWE. It was, it's, it's a great conversation, and I am super happy to share it with you this week. Um, ladies and gentlemen, my guest on Not Sam Wrestling, the man himself, the Scottish psychopath, the master of the Claymore, Drew McIntyre. Let's hit it. The Not Sam Wrestling interview. Well, welcome with us here on Not Sam Wrestling, the man who's going to have uh, Roman Reigns to himself at Stomping Ground over the weekend. Drew McIntyre is here. What's going on, man? Wow, I didn't realize we were live already, but uh, <laughs> how are you? <laughs> yeah, we're... Surprised there. <laughs> well, you know, we're always... Uh, we're ready to go, you know what I'm saying? Uh, are you... Uh, so, you know, I was thinking about your match uh, with Roman Reigns at Stomping Ground, and... I was kind of thinking about it in the context, this is a WrestleMania rematch. Uh, what was going on in your head going into WrestleMania 35? Because that match, I don't know, even a couple months removed, if people realize what a big deal that match was. I mean, really for both of you, but Roman Reigns, his big return match, it's a WrestleMania match. He's back at a time when nobody knew when or if he'd ever be back. And you're the guy uh, who gets to have that match with him the responsibility is kind of put in your lap how did you feel going into the first roman match at wrestlemania uh, it was hard to 
put into words. Um, just the company and Roman himself having that kind of belief in me. Um, to, to have the match with him, his first match back after his illness on the, the grandest stage of them all. And, you know, for me, it was such a significant match just with the journey I'd been through with obviously uh, growing up in WWE, being released after eight years, going away for three years, um, you know, having a lot of success outside the company, returning in my first ever singles match at WrestleMania against not only Roman Reigns, but Roman Reigns returning from his illness. So it was, you know, very special. Uh, to both of us, and uh, you know that's a night I'll never forget. How do you? That's for sure. It's really hard to put into words. I'm sure, but I mean, I th- you did a pretty good job. How do you? How do you keep your confidence in a place where that where you don't kind of buckle under that pressure? You know what I mean? Where you sit there and you know, day in day out, I'm worth this opportunity. I'm good enough. I'm 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 in the place where I'm supposed to be. Um, I think that's the one thing now. That just never gets the best of me. Like I still get, you know, the butterflies. Those will never go away. Well, that's the time, you know, I'll probably retire. Mm-hmm. But just as I mentioned, the the journey I've been through is pretty, you know, interesting. I don't think everyone, anyone's ever quite been through the journey I've been through and the the different circumstances and situations that I've been in in WWE and outside of WWE and everything that I've been through. The ups and downs have prepared me for every situation, including WrestleMania. Yeah, and there was not one doubt in my mind that I was ready for that moment. I was just, you know, very proud and privileged that the company and Roman believed in me also, as much as I believed in myself. You know, your story really is—it's pretty unique in the sense that you, the beginning of it or the in the middle of it, isn't that unique in the sense that you showed up with a lot of hype in WWE. It didn't work out. You end up getting released, and it's like, well. You know, what's next for Drew McIntyre? Uh, you ended up making a huge name for yourself across the U.S. independence, the U.K. independence. You end up in Impact. You, I mean, you really create this whole image where people don't even think of you as the character that you left behind in WWE, uh, but think of you as this new character and, and this new personality and this new being that you were after leaving WWE. When you have the opportunity to go back and you're heading into NXT, is there any part of you that is worried that you're going to end up slipping and things are going to go back to the way they were before, that once you get back to the WWE, this amazing momentum that you created for yourself outside of the WWE isn't going to be able to maintain? No, never crossed my mind (laughs) for a second. You know, I thought about it long and hard before I I made my return. Mm Mm-hmm. And like you mentioned, uh, you know, I was very lucky the way things worked out outside the company. Um, and when I first got released, I sat and thought about it. And I remember telling my wife at the time, you know, things are going to be fine. I spoke to a couple of the other guys who had been in a similar position, and they told me, oh, once you're released, you just play the same character, and then you'll travel around. You'll make a lot of money initially, but eventually, once people are used to seeing your face, that money will come down, and you'll find a wage that you stick at, and that'll kind of be your living, playing this WWE character everyone's used to. When I heard that, I thought that's terrible business sense that's not what i'm going to do i want to you know remake what people can be outside of wwe i'm going to you know become something bigger i'm going to fulfill my potential and i was very fortunate i got the platform to show the world who drew mcintyre drew galloway you know truly was and was able to build that name and show everybody when you leave the company you truly can create something unique and you see somebody like cody who took it to the next level yeah where i'd taken it to and it's a pretty cool time for wrestling but when my impact contract <clears throat> came up and my wife and i decided we weren't going to resign 
you know, we had to make the decision what was the next move, and there was a couple of opportunities, and perhaps, you know, Japan is somewhere I always wanted to go. And it wasn't until I spoke to William Regal, who's a friend and mentor of mine. He told me, you know, take a call from Triple H, have a little chat. And we had a very good conversation. And, you know, he's been keeping tabs on me over the years. was very proud of, you know, what I've achieved. And finally, you know, realizing that potential they saw in me all those years ago. And, you know, finally kind of grew up. And the boy had finally become a man. And, you know, in that conversation, that made it very clear I want to come to NXT. And, you know, that was his thoughts also because of the audience there. They were aware of who I was. They were aware of Drew Galloway and the new man that I was. And that was the best way to reintroduce me to WWE. And the plan I had in my head was, you know, go to NXT, get the opportunity to be a leader. An individual could really make a difference in NXT. It's not like WWE when the name sells it. And that's where I was going to go first. And when the time was right, I returned to Raw. And everything just went, you know, exactly as I saw it in my head. It's crazy. It's just... It truly is a case of you put the work in and you have a vision in your head and you work hard enough. You can pull off absolutely anything. Just don't have any doubt in your mind and work as hard as you can in every area. I tell everyone that all the time right now. And I'll tell everyone right now at the beginning of the interview mm-hmm. when I see all these tweets out there, these negative tweets, it drives me bloody crazy. <laughs> don't understand how much it drives me crazy because I assure you, you know, if you're not in the company, if you're in WWE right now, you want to figure it out because if you do go outside the company, there is a lot of opportunity but some people aren't willing to put in the work, and I can't guarantee you're going to be a Drew Galloway or a Cody Rhodes. So you might want to start putting the work in while you're in WWE. Stop complaining on Twitter and make it happen because taking you know, the Drew and Cody route doesn't work out for everybody. Yeah, do you, do, you, do you kind of see that, like know that there are guys that are unhappy or there are guys or girls that are complaining, but you know what their work ethic is, and you know that you don't understand. When you leave WWE, you can be successful, but you have to do it without the machine. There's nobody behind you. There's nobody coming up with anything creative. There's nobody coming up with anything promotional. There's nobody except you representing yourself. And I would have to imagine that that's kind of what separates the men from the boys. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, you know, when I say, you know, what I say, the people, you know, know who I'm talking about. You can look yourself in the mirror and you know if you're working hard and you know if you're not giving it everything. So the people, uh, like know who I'm talking about mm-hmm. basically and there's a lot of people that are talented and do deserve more opportunities but are those who aren't putting in the work and maybe in their head they think I deserve this this and this and I assure you if you go outside the company when it's 100% on you it becomes your life and if you don't give it all you've got 24-7 like I'm very lucky that I've got a very patient wife <laughs> that put up with me because I was not home for basically three straight years. I was on the road all the time. If you got kids, you're not going to see them. You have to dedicate your entire life to this. And that's the good thing about social media. You can take everyone on the journey. You've mm-hmm. got to be active on the social media. You've got to keep it interesting. You can't be boring. And you've just got to, you know, kind of reinvent the wheel, keep things interesting. And that's not very, no easy, but it is very, very rewarding if you are able to pull it off because it is all on you. You know, and it's pretty amazing. And it's got to feel pretty rewarding for you because when you look at Drew McIntyre, Today, who's on, you know, Raw and SmackDown, and it's the same Drew McIntyre that was on NXT before you got to the main roster. But even though you're Drew McIntyre in name, really the character is Drew Galloway. It's the it's the character that was developed outside of the WWE. That you know, I don't see the chosen one, the original Drew McIntyre, when I watch you now. I see the guy that I saw created outside of WWE now find a place in there, which I think is even more rare for you to be able to return, but to return as this, really as this character that you created outside. But yeah, and that's, I think, a big difference uh, about these days. Um, and, you know, I feel like 
you know, as much as everybody reads online that you're handed these scripts and you have to say everything, you know, verbatim and word for word and that you've got no saying who you are, that's not really true. Like, I've been kind of observing, like, with someone like a John Cena has been saying recently, that you've got to take what you're given and make it your own and put you into it. Because if you don't put you into it, it's not going to feel real to you. And if it doesn't feel real to you, it's not going to feel real to the audience. And that's what's pretty cool about right now is, like, thank you, I'm glad someone like yourself um, like sees through Galloway and Drew McIntyre because everything I'm given, I assure you, what comes on the screen or especially promos, et cetera, is not exactly what was on the script. Mm-hmm. So it's up to me to figure out how I put through Galloway and that. How am I going to make this real to me? Even if it's something that is obviously completely a story, I've got to find something real and something I can latch on to. Because if I don't latch on to it, I don't believe it. The audience don't believe it. I think everyone's got to start thinking that way. If you see the interviews with like Cena and he says those kind of things, I guess when I was younger, I would have said, oh, that's because you're John Cena. Right. But now as you get older, light bulbs start going off. Like, And you're like, oh, my God, I actually get it now. It's like when I was younger, the Undertaker, somebody would give me advice, such as when I was 23, 24, stop playing wrestler out there. I'm like, I don't understand. I'm not playing wrestler. I am a wrestler. And as you get older, the light bulb goes off. I'm out there trying to memorize moves. You look, take one look in my eyes. I'm clearly not in the moment. I'm clearly not feeling it. The crowd are clearly not feeling it. It took me a while before those light switches start going off. Once they start going off, that's when you start putting yourself into it. That's when you start getting over. That's when the people start believing, and that's when you finally start making money. Do you think that uh, that there is something to the idea of the generation, this generation, and maybe the generation before are kind of made up entirely of guys that grew up watching wrestling, meaning in the 70s, 80s, and even into the 90s, wrestling wasn't what it was for these guys when they were kids. You know, Stone Cold Steve Austin didn't grow up watching WWF superstars on his TV set, and 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 Hulk Hogan certainly didn't grow up. You know, they grew up with wrestling, but it was a completely different thing. You didn't have the fandom. You didn't have the action figures. You didn't have the larger-than-life superheroes, cartoon characters, all this stuff. Now, with as much as the industry has progressed and, and the guys that grew up super fans like you, you know, becoming an age where you can actually do this for a living, do you think that it affects you when you first start wrestling? Do you think that that, that leads to you kind of doing what The Undertaker said you were doing and playing pro wrestler as opposed to actually being a wrestler? Um, I think that just comes with experience. Like, to be honest, when you first start, I think everybody is just out there, just worried and tense, and your body's flexed the whole time, which means you're blowing up. Your eyes are clearly not in the moment. You're gearing the headlights. You're just trying to remember the next move. I think that's more to do with experience, but it's interesting when you talk about the different generations and perhaps their their mindset and their attitudes. Because, like, I, as you mentioned, I'm, like, the biggest mark of all. (laughs) uh, I talk about wrestling all day long, like... um, you know, actually, I got some pretty bad family news today, as you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I wasn't going to bring it up, but just so everyone out there knows, I'm a bit of a somber tone today, so I had some difficult news, but my wife pointed out to me, you know, the one thing that takes your mind off bad news is talking about wrestling, so I appreciate the opportunity to to talk with you today and talk about wrestling and take my mind off things yeah. going on. Yeah, man, uh, and I and I said, well, why don't we talk at another time? And they said, no, we, you know, he, he wants to come on and just talk wrestling for a while, and I said, yeah, I get that. I mean, that's kind of what we all have in common when there's whatever it is going on. Wrestling is the great escape for everybody, isn't it? Yeah. That's, we 
exactly my wife you know told me she was like it's the one thing that's going to take your mind off it for a while it's the one thing you're obsessed with is wrestling but <laughs> as we're talking about the you know the different generations i think it's interesting in the social media age today it's, it's weird like I, i'm trying to think of the best way to verbalize it um i don't know if like we're coming across almost as you know like too much of the fans now as opposed to superstars like some of the mystique is is getting lost and when i see you know some people online and uh posting pictures with like the older superstars and you're putting them over that's awesome because i want to do that Right. When you put something like that out there and you present, you know, everyone else from the former generation as the bigger stars rather yes. than yourself as the bigger stars. And hopefully I'm verbalizing this correctly. Um, like, I think we're losing a lot of mystique these days because all of us were such super fans, but we're putting it out there to the public constantly in social media, how much of super fans we are and how much we are just the same as everybody rather than keeping a little bit of that mystique, keeping that superstar mentality, keeping that we can't quite touch this person and that's kind of been my mentality the best i can is keeping myself at a distance like at pwg for example mm -hmm. you know that was a very interactive crowd if you've ever been to one of the shows yeah all the wrestlers come out they meet with the fans they hang out with them they sell their t-shirts everybody's friends i would never come out i would never talk to anybody that was one to be the one guy that had mystique so when i walked out people said oh this feels different feels different than everybody else and i was trying to project that superstar vibe Yeah. Today's day and age, like, hopefully I'm you know, putting this out there correctly. <laughs> I think we've got to you know, keep that mentality of if we keep putting the previous generations over as better than us, they're always going to see it that way. And therefore, we're always going to rely on them. And I think we've got to somehow try and find a little bit of that mystique again. Yeah, I mean, I think Seth Rollins... one today's day and age. It is, it is tough because, I mean, Twitter has made it so every fan has access to hit you up on your phone. You know what I mean? Like, you, they, they, somehow... Every fan in the audience is able to at mention you, and if you check your at mentions, everyone has access to you, which it never was before. I mean, I liked stuff, and it was a super controversial move on the WWE's part. I mean, some people were downright pissed at the match with you and Kurt Angle a few months ago on Raw, but I kind of loved the idea that regardless of how much we respect Kurt Angle as a legend and regardless of the fact that you as a kid probably loved Kurt Angle, that once you guys got in the ring, Drew McIntyre, the guy from Monday Night Raw, absolutely demolished and humiliated Kurt Angle. And realistically, I mean, in 2019, that's what we should be seeing, in my opinion. Yeah, and that's kind of what I'm getting at. And someone like Kurt Angle is willing to do that uh, for somebody like myself or somebody like Baron Corbin and mm -hmm. help us get over and Uh, look, that you know, as incredible as that, and like the problem is, like somebody has a match like that. I assure you, I did not tweet after that. Thank you to my buddy Kurt for doing that for me again, <laughs> as he did for me in TNA. I had my arm around and point at him, like a lot of people do. Yeah, <laughs> like that's what I'm talking about with the mystique, and it's just not good business to me. It's some of the lessons I learned outside the company was more business than anything, and a lot of it was kind of thinking, what have we lost, and what's changed now, and why are things. You know, not necessarily the way they were, and as much good as it's, uh, there is, and as much as it's brought us all together, and with certain circumstances where, you know, it's really cool and should be done, it's also making people not seem as larger than life as it used to be. I can't imagine if I was tweeting back in the day and Stone Cold Steve Austin replied to me, I'd be telling everyone at school, my buddy Steve, he replied to me, we're <laughs> friends, and yeah. not that outreach superstar was that mystique to me anymore because he's just replying to me on the internet or answering all my questions constantly. So, yeah, I don't know. That's just things that creep into my head and I try to think how can I be different than everybody else and how can I create 
that superstar profile and how am I going to make people genuinely hate me in 2019 when a lot of them go, oh, I respect him and his journey, clap, clap, clap. I was like, no, I don't want you to respect me my journey. I want you to hate me. <laughs> yeah. I'm yeah. a bad guy and that's my job to make you dislike me and I want some truth in what I'm saying, but I want to be so truthful that you say, damn it, I hate this guy, but he's got a point. So we'll get back to Drew McIntyre momentarily, but you know, when you uh, celebrate wrestling the way we do, it's important that you have an understanding partner, an understanding husband, wife, boyfriend, girlfriend, whoever it is, they need to know that they are your number one priority. And quite frankly, guys, and you know I like to be frank with you, sometimes you may need to prove that to them physically. Physically, you, you can't, the last thing you can do is sit there and watch hours and hours of wrestling, listen to hours and hours of podcasts, and then they come to you and they say, hey, you know, why don't you come up and physically show me some attention? And you go, I'm tired, I can't do it. Because physically, what if you can't? You know, guys have to deal with that. Physically, we have to be able to perform when it's time to perform. They come to me and they go, last professional broadcaster, Sam Roberts. How do you perform at the level you perform? Two children and all of this stuff that you're doing? How do you pull it off? I'll tell you how I pull it off. I am ready to go whenever I need to be ready to go. You know how? Baloo Chew. That's right. My wife has so much attention paid to her. Probably more than she wants. You know why? Because I just keep chewing. Blue Chew. You know what Blue Chew is? It's the first chewable with the same FDA-approved active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis. That's how you know they work. You take them anytime, day or night, and since they're chewable, they work up to twice as fast as a pill. And it's not just for guys who can't perform. No, it's for guys like me, guys like you, who want extra function to enhance their performance. You're probably the master at wrestling trivia. Well, now you can also be the master of the bedroom. You know how? You go from average to beyond average. You go from good to great. You go from great to undisputed because you got blue chew in your system. Most guys, they talk a good game, but if you're one and done, blue chew is even going to help you follow through for round two. Can you believe that? Can you imagine? You can become one of those people. All you need to do is get Blue Chew. Best part is it's prescribed online. It ships straight to your door. Discreet packaging. No in-person doctor's visit. No waiting in the pharmacy. No more awkwardness. And Blue Chew's made in the USA. And since it prepares and ships direct, it's cheaper than a pharmacy. And get this. You can get it for free. Yeah, I give it to you for free. Visit BlueChew.com and get your first shipment for free when you use the special promo code ROBERTS. R-O-B-E-R-T-S gets you free BlueChew at BlueChew.com. You just pay $5 shipping. That's B-L-U-E-Chew.com promo code ROBERTS to try it for free. Now that I got that out of my system, let's get back to Drew McIntyre. Right. Well, I mean, that's the trick, right? Like every every villain that you love in a movie that while you hate what they're saying and you hate them for saying it, you can't call them a liar. You know what I mean? What they're saying, it is valid what they're saying. You kind of have to go like, you know, if, if Drew McIntyre is announcing to the world that he's I'm unstoppable and I'm going to, you know, destroy all your dreams on TV. You probably are, right? Yeah, that's the key is just tapping into something that people can genuinely get annoyed with. And that's, I guess, the social media thing whenever I get the opportunity on Raw to kind of like use that drives people crazy. I, I talk about, you know, a lot of people just saying things for the likes and retweets and 
um, all the fans just like going along with that and they're just saying positive things about people they don't necessarily care about so they get that like and get that retweet and then the people will like it the superstars will like it and retweet it and it just comes across to me as an old pony <laughs> the word just not becoming of a WWE superstar yeah it's interesting I think that part of it is that you need to have a pretty high degree of confidence to know in yourself this is working based on the crowd reaction. I want them to hate me. They're booing me. This is working. I don't need to go on the internet and get affirmation from individual fans. I think for a lot of people, and it's not just in wrestling, I think it's you know everywhere in kind of entertainment that people now have access to affirmation from fans whenever they want it directly. And I mean, you're right, big picture, it hurts, big picture. I think it does make you look like less of a star. But for a lot of people in the in the in the small picture, they just need some affirmation right now. So if I go on Twitter and I say something, I can get some fans to tell me I'm great, and then I can read that I'm great and I'll feel better. But realistically, it doesn't mean anything, right? Hundred percent. I get more excited about the the negative comments, especially the constructive. Like uh, sometimes, occasionally, I'll get something in there, and I go, "You know what? This person's got a point." <laughs> and I appreciate there are the positive comments that have also got a point as well, and not just saying it to say it. And, like hoping for a like or a retweet. But the biggest compliment for me right now is like, especially on Instagram, because anybody can just message you. Yeah. On Instagram, my my wife actually runs that, and like when she tells me how many death threats I'm getting, like <laughs> what I do to Roman Reigns, I say, okay, excellent, doing my job. All right, right we're on to something here. Today, we got about ten today. <laughs> I'm yeah. doing my job correctly. Yeah, Tuesday morning, you're like, oh, how did it? Go? Only four death threats. Ah, oh, I got to pick my game up a little bit. This is. <laughs> uh, there we go. So that's what I'm going for these days. But yeah, this is. I guess 2019 and just try to figure it out because obviously when I was away from the company, social media was such a powerful tool that helped get me over and I was able to take people on the journey and it was the way I framed it wasn't necessarily a case of I just go back and forth with everybody. It was more, I'm here today. This is what's going on today. Drew's in this country today and I present it in that way more. Right. Like trying to come, come across, like, I guess in my mind, like as big of a star as I can and create the kind of image I have in my head of what a superstar uh, should be. What was uh what was PWG like for you to show up at PWG? You know, you're a guy who really prior to WWE, you didn't have a ton of independent experience, especially in the States, you know. Uh, so this is where you've learned how to do everything. Now you're outside of WWE. You're kind of figuring out the ropes of what wrestling looks like uh, outside of WWE. And you show up to Reseda, California, and you've got, you know, at the time probably the most diehard loyal fan base to a promotion anywhere. They like their wrestling a certain way. They like certain guys. You know, this is, I mean, for those of you that weren't seeing it at the time, there's no guardrails. There's literally the fans are sitting at the ring. You're, you're, you're touching the apron. The fans are on top of you. It's, it's as intimate as it gets, but it's as passionate as it gets. Um, is there any nervousness in you at that point? in your life or in your career because you haven't had a, a, an experience quite like this? Oh, yeah. So that, yeah. I was certainly yeah. uh, very nervous. And that was, like, I looked to that of, okay, this is, you know, put up or shut up time when it comes to in-ring ability. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the PWG is, you know, the best of the best of the independents. And if you get the, the standing ovation, the please come back after the match, after the first time you're there, that means you did well. If you don't, probably not going to going to be back again i was very fortunate um when i first um you know started uh, working with uh, evolve 
my very first match. I beat Chris Hero and Cassie Zolano for the Evolve Championship and had the opportunity to wrestle with Roderick Strong, who's one of the best wrestlers in the world, probably one of my favorite, not my favorite opponent. And I think Trent Barretta told him, you know, Drew's actually really good. He went, and he actually told me, to, Roderick's very honest. <laughs> he told Roddy, he's like, Drew, that guy, he's good. And Trent assured him, <laughs> no, trust me, he's actually good. He's telling me this. And at the curtain one time, because finally we had a couple of matches that went great. He's telling me the story by the curtain after we did two matches. And he's telling me, yeah, that guy. And, we, and I wrestled you, and I went, yeah. You yeah. are good. Congratulations. <laughs> and he pretty much said it that blunt. Oh, yeah, thanks, buddy. But it actually meant a lot to me because I thought so much of Roddy. But he uh, is friends with Super Dragon at the PWG. And he'd asked them, who do you think uh, Drew should wrestle in his first match? And Roddy suggested uh, Mike Bailey. I'm not sure if you're aware of him. Uh-huh. Um, but he's phenomenal. A Canadian uh, wrestler. Uh, he can do pretty much anything you can possibly imagine. But Roddy suggested him as my first opponent. And we had this uh, crazy match for about 25 minutes. Just gave it absolutely everything I could. The crowd are just out of their minds. It was so awesome. Like you say, a small building, 400 people. Everyone very passionate about wrestling, very passionate about PWG. You know, they expect everything you've got. We gave them everything we had. And when the match was over, and they come up on their feet and they chanted, please come back. That's genuinely one of the best moments of my career. That's yeah, awesome. far to get that kind of compliment from, you know, those passionate hardcore fans. Yeah, because they would love to boo you out of the building, by the way. They would love to tell you to leave and don't come back. Yeah, I mean, oh, they, they'll tell you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I got to come back a few times after, thankfully. But yeah, they'll let you know if you're uh, if you're not doing a good job. But that was one of the the coolest moments because again, like there's not a lot of you know bigger guys that work with PWG than myself and Chris Hero. Mm-hmm. They're probably the only guys over like six foot tall. To Brian Cage is jacked out of his mind. But generally, it's more the the high flyer kind of base style, the real technical uh, guys. You don't get a lot of big guys. So uh, that went, meant the world to me, obviously, when people seen me in WWE and maybe thought, you know, well, that DMB guy, really, he's going to walk into PWG and blow our minds. Right. <laughs> yeah. The mentality people had at first. And I was like very, you know, fortunate and very happy the way things worked out. And to get that affirmation from the, the crowd really is one of the proudest moments of my career. How quick into that first PWG match do you realize, oh my God, this is going to work. This is going to be great. Um... It wasn't long into it. Like once I started laying in the chops and throwing Mike around, you know, they were getting into it. And I just remember as the near falls started escalating and escalating, they kept coming up and up and up. And I knew we we're just getting started. And I went, wow, we've really got them right now. And I know we're just getting to the good stuff. And when you're in a match and you feel that and you're like, you're feeling it, they're feeling it, there's like no other feeling in the world like. And I remember that was probably the first time outside the company I was in a match and I genuinely started, you know, like I'm really feeling it right now. I'm starting to. You know, all the lessons I've been taught in WWE, but I was never able to put into practice. When I was gone from the company, I was finally putting them into practice. And in that match, there's certain things people had said over the years, like the Undertaker's advice, et cetera. And you're in the moment, you're feeling it, and just letting the crowd breathe and giving them that time to react to the first thing before moving on to the next thing. And it just all, you know, was going through my head during that match. And I remember afterwards being like, all right, this is it. This is, I'm putting the pieces together finally. And just to spend another next couple of years putting those pieces together of everything I learned. And my first run in WWE before I, you know, became the hopefully uh, future main event superstar uh, that I plan to be. <laughs> That's amazing, and I mean, yeah, I would say you're pretty. If you're not a main event superstar already, you're 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 fairly close. Your second pay per view match with Roman Reigns, you know, this year, I think you're doing okay. Um, what do you? All right, then I get some big goals. Big yeah. Goals. <laughs> what do you? Th- the first British champion. I've got my eyes on that too. What do you think of uh, uh, this this 
theory about the NXT call-ups. You know, a, a lot of times you see guys in NXT and the NXT fans who, I mean, I would say the NXT fans aren't that, and it's ironic because it's a WWE product, but they're not that dissimilar from like the, the PWG fans. The NXT fans are super loyal. They're super passionate. I mean, I don't know if you saw the takeover from uh, uh, Hartford, I think it was, takeover 25, the last one, but that, it was it was... It was so loud. The entire show was just so loud. Everybody on fire the whole time. But NXT fans, one of the things that they always say when somebody starts to get over super big in NXT is, I hope they don't go to the main roster because the main roster is going to ruin them. And they start bringing up guys that were big in NXT and then they get to the main roster and it doesn't pan out for them. Uh, I feel like, and maybe it's because that narrative is a little bit uh, more convenient when you're talking about the negative side of it because you don't really hear the success stories. The Drew McIntyres, for instance. Like, you go from being NXT champion to going on to the main roster and, you know, not missing a step, really. What is it... How do you succeed in that transition and why do you think it hasn't worked for some people? I think I mentioned earlier <clears throat> the one bit of advice always good. Um, any NXT um, guy or girl that asks me um, what I need to do different, I always say that just don't lose what brought you to the dance. Like, the nature of NXT and Raw and SmackDown are obviously very different. Mm-hmm. So you're going to get more time in NXT, and it's um, you know not quite like Raw and SmackDown, where a lot of the matches are kind of commercials for the characters or commercials for the, the future pay per view, and you know you're looking to tell a story and sometimes a short story. But you've got to be able to figure out, okay, at NXT, I'm going to have 30 minutes. It's easy to tell the story in 30 minutes. Um, but can you do that? Like, how good are you really? Are you able to tell that story in five minutes? Are you able to keep what brought you from NXT to Raw or SmackDown? Um, you know, with you, are you going to tell you, okay, now you're a good guy there, you're going to be a bad guy? And suddenly you just start panicking and people are in your ear giving advice. So you're just going to suddenly change everything and try and please everybody. Or are you going to figure out who brought you to the dance? You're going to figure out how to tell that story you want to tell and get yourself over. So if you remember, I was a good guy in NXT Mm -hmm. and I came to uh, Raw and I was a bad guy. Mm -hmm. And I assure you, like Drew McIntyre from uh, NXT and Drew McIntyre on Raw Smack uh, on Raw. I'm SmackDown right now. I don't even know which brand I'm on. I mean, you're on both yeah. shows. I don't remember half the time myself. Yeah, yeah. I, I just, I've called myself the wild card during McIntyre. <laughs> uh, but yeah, but if you watch the difference between the two, there really isn't much difference except McIntyre's maybe willing to back off or cheat a little bit, but I'm essentially the same guy when I'm doing the promos, the same, you know, intensity in the ring. You know, good guy McIntyre's willing to headbutt you. <laughs> like he's, uh, willing to bring the the fight and bad guy McIntyre is willing to do exactly the same. Like I didn't change anything about me, right? And that's what I try to you know tell people is you just can't lose, you know what got you over with those NXT fans. You can get over with those fans or those almost hardcore fans. You can get over with anybody. Just don't lose uh, what made the NXT fans believe in you and got you over in the first place. You just got to figure out you know how can you tell those to get your character over and tell those stories sometimes in a shorter uh, period because Raw and SmackDown is generally a commercial for you to set up your big match of the pay-per-view where you can do what you were doing in NXT. Was it poetic to be able to uh, uh, kick the crap out of uh, Heath Slater on Raw this week? Oh, yeah. <laughs> so I can be kind of honest on this thing. Like, I'll never be tweeting about this stuff. But I, <laughs> when I heard about it, I initially said, man, I genuinely feel bad. 
<laughs> great. <laughs> I was like, what a dick move. <laughs> and just the way it kind of came together and like Heath is so sympathetic to begin with and uh, people thankfully, I could hear the crowd from where we were filming. Thankfully, I think a bunch of them kind of understood our past relationship and if they didn't, hopefully we, we played it that way. Again, with Heath being so sympathetic and like it was just... Like it wasn't all necessarily planned, but like the interaction with us when I'm reaching for the money to try to stop me and I'm the banter back and forth. That was just, you know, going with the flow. Like I'm saying, you don't have to learn those words all the time. Just say, just go with how it feels. And you know, Heath and I genuinely have a relationship. And I genuinely know his family, and mm-hmm. we're trying to put that into the moment. And when I tried to get the money, he stopped me and bent over. And I was like, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> I was just like, uh, I mean, in the moment, I kind of lost my head, but you know, afterwards, I was like, wow, that was that was pretty fun. <laughs> I look for that down the line, <laughs> and I think it'd be good for Heath and good for myself if we do have a little program down the line. Yeah, I think it'd be amazing. Do you do you feel like you've uh, you've gained patience over the years as as you've gained experience in the sense that I would imagine that for some in your position you might start to get impatient in the sense that even though you're in an amazing spot right now and you got the match with Roman Reigns and and you had your WrestleMania match and things are clearly going really well, like you said earlier, you got these big goals. You want to be the guy. You want to be the Universal Champion, the WWE Champion, whatever title it is. Is it easier now for you to say, you know what, I'm doing excellent work i'm just going to keep doing excellent work and we'll get there or do you still have your moments where you're like how long is it going to take for me to be in that spot yeah i'm certainly way 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 more patient mm-hmm. than i used to be uh, especially during the first run when the chosen one and ic champion stuff i was very impatient and you know it was a case of oh my god why is it not happening right now and being very verbal about that and i think a lot of fans are like that these days they, they need everything right now and they don't understand why things are happening the way they're happening but the truth is we have 52 weeks of tv every single year <clears throat> and you know obviously i'd love to just jump in and be champion right away but the truth is are the casual fans going to really accept that or is Drew McIntyre is that going to be as successful as it could be if or if i you know do what i've been doing and you know take my time and slowly build that character and you know i've been around you know i guess factions if you like i was with Dolph and then it was a lot of time with Corbin and Lashley, and then we set up the match with Roman, and now obviously with with Shane. But yeah. I look at it as okay, that's um, you know just I've been in prominent positions, I've been in prominent matches, I'm in the opportunity to slowly build that character, get people to know who Drew McIntyre truly is, while you know not taking many significant losses aside against like a Roman Reigns at WrestleMania. And I look at it like this is a good thing. So it takes a long time to truly get over, and I do not want to jump straight into you know that title picture until I'm absolutely at the point where I know. The fans know exactly who I am. They feel like the fans are ready for this and they're going to accept this and they're going to boo me out the damn building when it happens and people are going to see somebody kick my ass and pay money to do it. Yeah, and I mean, if the road that you've been on teaches you anything, I would imagine it'd be timing. Like, you just have to understand that sometimes that things happen at specific times when they're supposed to kind of happen. Yeah, that's yeah. exactly it. You know, everything happens for a reason. Sometimes in the moment... You know, you don't feel that way, and I've felt that way many times. But the trick is you just got to you know, keep pushing forward. That's sometimes the hardest thing is don't be negative and certainly don't put out to the world. You know, tell your significant other. Tell your close friends. Mm-hmm. Like, don't mouth it off in the locker or certainly don't put it on social media, but the key is just never giving up. Yeah. Because I guess that my career is just proof of like, no matter what, no matter how 
low things can get, no matter how CMB things can get, if you work <laughs> hard enough, that you can come back and you can be on top. Yeah, man. Before I let you go, I know you can't, nobody ever really talks about it because you're not, you can't divulge what actually happens. But as somebody who's not only, not not as a, somebody who grew up a wrestling fan, but more somebody who, as a wrestler, is obsessed with the business as you are, how amazing was it to be a part of Shawn Michaels' classes at the Performance Center? That's the best. Of course, I've said this many times, the first rule about Shawn classes, you don't talk about Shawn classes, I don't go <laughs> into the details, but, you know, that was a huge part of, you know, like finishing school, if you like. I, I always refer to it as getting my PhD. Mm-hmm. And I was working with Sean just because there's nobody like him. The majority of guys that ever reached his success um, either, you know, made their money and they're not part of the, the business anymore. Perhaps they're not, unfortunately, with us anymore. There's the fact that Sean Michaels is willing to move with his family to Orlando and work with everybody. And the level he got to with, the best in-ring performer of all time is absolutely insane. I mean, you have a conversation with him and you see exactly the level he thinks on. It's just, you know, it's unbelievable. <laughs> like, you know, like some days you just sit there, you forget you're with, you know, wait a minute, I'm sitting here with Shawn Michaels and, um, you know, everyone around me is like, I, I don't know this, he was in the class, but everyone around me is such an insanely talented class and we're just going back and forth, just having this incredible like, experience with the greatest of all time, and that truly was getting my PhD as far as I'm concerned and kind of what set me up perfectly for coming back to Raw because the time I was out with my bicep injury, I was driving back and forth to Orlando to make sure I worked with Sean because if I couldn't do it physically, I was certainly going to work mentally. Yeah. That's awesome, man. Well, look, I could I could literally talk to you for hours about this stuff because I'm I'm in the same camp as you. I could talk about wrestling all day, every day, and still want to do it some more. Uh, but I'll let you go. You got Stomping Ground, of course, Sunday on the WWE Network. I would hope by now you all have the WWE Network, but if you don't, get it. You watch Stomping Ground on Sunday night. If you're in the area, go get your tickets, and you can see uh, Drew McIntyre uh, give Roman Reigns the beating of a lifetime. You're right. So everyone's something <laughs> so bloody negative about it, I assure you. Like everyone's going out there to kill it. Just sit down, enjoy the show. And I guarantee Roman and I will give a match everyone's going to be talking about. Yeah, if you take a second to enjoy it, WWE and wrestling in general, it's a pretty fun show. You know, it's 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 it's, it's wrestling. It's it's like it's the greatest thing in the world. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that's just be a fan. I can imagine being younger and just complaining about everything. I just used to sit down and watch everything, every possible company you can imagine. Yeah. Even the worst of the independence, I got, you know, tape trading and watching absolutely everything I get my hands on. I was certainly not being a critic. I was just sitting back, being a fan and enjoying the show. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's a good message for everybody. Uh, thanks a lot, man, for uh, for taking the time out to talk. It was great. Yeah, thank you, bud. As I say, it's just taking my mind off things to do, so I really you know, appreciate the chat. Gentlemen, look, before we go any further, we got to talk about something that as men, we all need to do. It's manscaping. Okay, and thankfully for all of us, Not Sam Wrestling support comes for Manscaped, the number one in men's below-the-belt grooming. You've seen the nightmare on my head, okay? We got to take care of our bodies. The aesthetic is important, and that's why Manscaped is here. I know you guys out there, you're like, oh, trust me, I take care of it. Oh, really? What do you do? Do you take your pharmacy razor into the shower with you and you just you just shave down a little bit that way? Look, you probably got nicks and cuts and razor bumps and all kinds of disgusting stuff. 
Honestly, knowing you, I'm looking at you right now. I'm looking at you in the face. You know what I think that you do? I think that you take your razor and you trim up your, your, your area, your adult area, we'll say, where you need to trim it up. And then you get out of the shower, you rinse it off, and you use it on your face. And you wonder why people complain about how bad your cheeks smell. It's disgusting. I don't know why you're doing it. I'm going to tell you what you should be doing. The Lawn Mower 2.0. Yes, Manscaped has redesigned the electric trimmer. It's precision, okay? Precision, people. The Lawn Mower 2.0 has proprietary skin safe technology so you're not going to get nicked you're not going to get snagged you're not going to get anything your entire area is going to be protected and it's going to be nice and smooth the ladies in your life the men in your life whichever people that you show your private area to with consent of course is going to be over the moon thrilled and they're going to say how'd you do that you're going to say manscaped honey manscaped you know then they're gonna get close okay because it's gonna be smooth it's gonna be nice to the touch okay no cuts no nothing it's gonna look like a professional job quite frankly and then they're gonna get close and they're gonna be like oh my god this actually smells good too the whole package it smells great this is such a change what did you what you use and you'll say i got the crop preserver Manscaped's got it. The Cropped Preserver. It's an anti-chafing deodorant for your testicular region. And it's a moisturizer. Okay, I don't know how you could do wrong. You're already putting deodorant under your arms. Why not the smelliest part of your body? And we all know what part of your body that is. Use the right tools for the job. The testicular area of your body will thank you. Plus, you can get 20% off right now. You're going to get 20% off, you're going to get free shipping, and you're going to get a free travel bag. All you need to do is use the code NOTSAM at manscaped.com. That's 20% off, free shipping, and a free travel bag at manscaped.com. Use code NOTSAM. It's now time for this week's State of Wrestling. Yes, it is time for this week's State of Wrestling. Thank you very much to the Fink, as always. Hey, uh, welcome to the State of Wrestling. You know how we do things here. We count down the top five moments of the week in the, the course of professional wrestling. According to yours truly, the last professional broadcaster, Sam Roberts. And I kind of feel like uh, every week here on the State of Wrestling, we're just going to... Maybe I should get some production made or something. We're just going to have to do a 24-7 title update. Because I just adore it. I, I am still a huge fan of the 24-7 title. Uh, I think Carmella and R-Truth are executing on all cylinders. It's giving R-Truth an incredible amount of TV time. Uh, it's giving people like Kurt Hawkins and Zack Ryder. You go like, where do Kurt Hawkins and Zack Ryder, because realistically, right, you're looking at the at the tag team division on Raw. And yes, they had their moment at WrestleMania, but come on, come on. You got the Revival. You got the Usos. You got the Viking Raiders. You got all these teams where does Hawkins and Ryder fit in? Well, Hawkins giving Ryder bad advice to go try to find the 24-7 championship. The 24-7 title has has provided that storyline for those guys. The 24-7 title is providing so much for so many. And 
because it's so kind of freewheeling, it's allowing people who have the natural ability to entertain, but maybe don't have a full storyline behind them pushing, it's allowing those people opportunity to be entertaining on television. You know, I mean, think about how great the elevator ride was. with Everybody stuck on it. I thought that was tremendous. I, here's what I thought was stupid. At this point, when Shelton Benjamin just grabbed the title and tried to run with it, see, you have to keep everything in the confines of reality. It's been well established that our truth doesn't know what's going on at any given moment, right? He's entering a Royal Rumble thinking it's a hell in a cell. He's uh, trying to win a women's championship. Like, he's out of his mind. Okay, that's established. So that's fine. You can pretty much do anything in the world that you want with our truth But... I think Shelton Benjamin should know the idea that, you know, the idea that R-Truth got locked into like a, 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 a container and got sent to Los Angeles with all of the, the TV set, that I can buy. The idea that Shelton Benjamin came to ringside, grabbed the title, and thought he could just run away with it without pinning anybody, that I can't buy. I didn't buy that. I thought that was dumb. I said, why would Shelton Benjamin think that? Everybody knows that you have to pin the champion like any other title. Everybody knows that. Now, the big question this week is, and I got this tweeted at me, how does the last professional broadcaster Sam Roberts feel about Drake Maverick being the new 24-7 champion? Uh, I talked about this before. Of course, Drake Maverick, absolutely one of these guys that fits into the category of people benefiting tremendously from this title existing. I think he's been able to really show his entertaining side. I think that he's completely off to the races with this thing. The way he's utilized every form of social media, uh, the way he's designed a t-shirt out of it, and they're actually now selling it on WWE Shop. I think Drake Maverick is showing how much you can do with just a little bit of opportunity, a little bit of opportunity, and you can do a whole lot with it. Now, I said a couple of weeks ago that what I really wanted out of this 24-7 championship was for it always to kind of rotate around our truth that he could win it or he could lose it as many times as you can possibly have him win it or lose it. I don't care if by the end of the thing, our truth has won that title 1,400 times. That's the one title that frequent and constant title changes are not only okay, but they're actually welcome. They're preferable when you have a title like that. So I'm I'm totally okay with it, but it, but it should always eventually get back to our truth. That's the world that our truth should live in, just because he's so good at it. And I said a while back that I don't think Drake Maverick should ever win the title. I think that he should be chasing it forever. I was happy with the moment. The, the, my natural gut reaction when it happened in the moment was, oh, that's funny. Drake Maverick just won the title and he stole that referee's car. I am willing to see where this goes. I think Drake Maverick is a hell of an entertainer, as is our truth. Um, I still, I think that you could have had somebody else do that. Although, you know what? Maybe at some point, Drake Maverick keeps trying to get the title and trying to get the title and doesn't get it. Maybe at some point that gets old. Maybe if he never wins, it just doesn't make sense anymore for him to keep doing it. Maybe in order to keep Drake Maverick active in the 24-7 division, 
he has to win the title at some point. I could probably be won over if that were an argument presented to me. You know, if Drake Maverick, maybe Drake Maverick has to win the title every like six weeks or so, you know, almost never has the title. I think R-Truth should get it back quickly or somebody, maybe Jinder Mahal can beat uh, 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 Drake Maverick. I don't know what Bobby Roode is doing. I saw him in the background on one show. He doesn't have his mustache anymore. He's back to the full beard. He had the mustache for a week. What are you doing, man? Keep the mustache. Mustache is money. You know, Bobby Roode winning that 24-7 title with that big, thick mustache. I think that that would be a, a bona fide plus for the whole thing. You know, I think that, that that's crucial. The mustache, I mean. You know, if you're not going to have it be... Uh, uh, if you're just going to have him in a beard, I would say do not put the title on Bobby Roode. If he's going to go back to the mustache, I'm okay with Bobby Roode pinning Drake Maverick and then R-Truth pinning Bobby Roode. I, I, I would like to see more people win it. I think the list of people who have won that title should be long and ridiculous. I'd like to see Charles Robinson get one of the other referees and have Charles Robinson pin Drake Maverick through another referee. You know, give it to one of the referees. Let, uh, let Renee Young win the 24-7 title. You know, Renee Young sees somebody sleeping the way R-Truth saw Jinder Mahal sleeping on the plane, let Renee Young get the cover and, and hold on to the title for a moment. And then have, you know, The Miz put her in a figure four and have her tap out, and then The Miz is the 24-7 champion. I don't know. There's a million things you can do with it. I don't think Renee Young winning the title from Drake Maverick is the worst idea in the world, quite frankly. You know, think about that. Then you look at your division. You have Bailey on SmackDown. You have... Becky on Raw, and you have Renee Young, 24-7 champion. I mean, you know, you give it to her for an hour or something like that. You don't have to keep it on her very long. But why not let Renee Young be a title holder? You're finally in a position where that can happen. Corey Graves can come out of retirement. He can compete in the 24-7 division. Anyone can. Yours truly. Throw me in there. Byron Saxton, you know? Everybody should be. One of the cameramen should win the 24-7 title at some point. Let the Shockmaster's son, who's the timekeeper for WWE, let him jump in there and win the title. How about T, they're, they're, the, the producer who wore the Big E singlet a few weeks ago when Big E wasn't, was, was coming, he faked everybody out with the Big E singlet. Let him win the 24-7 championship. He's in good shape. Pass it around, baby. Let everybody have a taste of the gold. But at the end of the day, put it back on our truth And every six weeks or so, maybe you give Drake Maverick a run just to keep it fresh. I like that it, we've gotten to the point that the people on 205 Live are questioning if Drake Young, uh, Drake, Drake Young, Drake, uh, Drake Maverick is even a suitable leader anymore because he's so focused on this 24-7 championship. It's ridiculous. Why would anybody be that focused on that title? But I love it that they are. I think it's great. So there's your update. I'm okay with it. I'm, I'm, I'm starting to see where uh, it would be necessary to have him have spend some time with that title, Drake Maverick, I mean, and hopefully by Monday. But I think we need more social media uh, title changes. You know, I think uh, before the weekend, our truth should get it back. You know, I think it'd be great. Pin somebody in an airport. I just, there, there's so many things. Plus nowadays, you don't even need a whole camera crew there. You just film the thing on an iPhone. It's easy to do. Let's do it. Let's have somebody win that title in a Cracker Barrel. You know, you could you could have a title change on Ride Along. How about that? 
catch me outside. You're in the middle of filming an episode of Ride Along and R-Truth pins Drake Maverick in the backseat of a car. I think it's great. Don't get any fresh ideas with that, by the way. But I think it's great. I think it's a good thing. So uh, that's where I'm at with the 24-7 title. Story number four is Seth Rollins. I don't know. You know, watching Raw and watching SmackDown, especially this week, but since WrestleMania, I don't know how you can get behind this Seth Rollins. This Seth Rollins is not an honorable champion. I've heard people saying, oh, relax. He's just an edgy good guy. There is nothing good guy about this Seth Rollins. Seth Rollins won the Universal Championship by kicking Brock Lesnar in the nuts. He kicked him in the dick. It's not a thing that good guys do. We talked about this with AJ Styles. We talked about this with The Undertaker. Low blows, it's a dirty, nasty trick to pull on somebody. The fact that Seth Rollins' title win was helped out tremendously by a low blow, and then Brock tries to cash in the Money in the Bank briefcase and catches another low blow, Brock Lesnar has got to wear a jockstrap. But he's also got to realize that this Seth Rollins, not a good guy. This Seth Rollins is keeping his title by any means necessary, and he's not being honorable about it. He's upset vocally, physically, because Brock Lesnar won't tell him when he's going to cash in the Money in the Bank briefcase. You know who's somebody that didn't tell anybody when he was going to cash in his Money in the Bank briefcase? And he just sat there waiting and waiting. He waited for months and months. And then at the most inopportune time possible, he came in, he interrupted a championship match, and he walked out the WWE champion. You know what dastardly person did that? Seth Rollins! Seth Rollins himself did that with the Money in the Bank briefcase. If anybody knows how the Money in the Bank briefcase works, it's Seth freaking Rollins. So for Seth Rollins to be upset that Brock Lesnar is utilizing his Money in the Bank briefcase slash speaker system and faking him out and getting in his head is absurd. If anybody should sit there and go, you know what? I'm going to just have to roll with this. It goes with the territory of being champion. I know because I did it to Brock Lesnar. He did it to Brock. He pinned Brock Lesnar in the middle of a match that Brock was having with Roman Reigns. Unless he pinned Roman. No, he pinned Brock. Come on. And now he's upset that Brock isn't giving him a good healthy heads up as to when he's going to cash in. Get the heck out of here. Then... He shows up on Raw, and he's beating the Dickens out of anybody that he can find with a steel chair. And not only is he beating the Dickens out of anybody that he can find with a steel chair, but he finds his friend, who he goes way back with. His friend, Eric Young, his only crime is that he was asked a question. He didn't even answer in the affirmative. Seth Rollins is so worried about the special guest referee in his match with Baron Corbin, that he's beating up his friends with steel chairs and lying to them. 
Oh, don't worry, Eric. I know you would never do anything. And Eric goes, that's right. I would never do anything. Okay, turn around. What's that? Boom, boom. Steel chair to the back. Might as well be a knife. This is the Seth Rollins that turned on his shield, brothers. I don't understand why we're made to believe that this Seth Rollins is a good man. I don't care how many times you announce that Becky Lynch and Seth Rollins are the prom king and the prom queen of the WWE. This Seth Rollins is a villain. He's an evil jerk. The things that he's doing. If Seth Rollins were the, the fighting champion with the spirit of a champion, it wouldn't matter who the referee was that Baron Corbin had lined up. He would be able to win anyway. Seth Rollins wouldn't have to take out all these potential referees. He would just allow nature to take its course and defy the odds once he got in the ring at stomping grounds. Instead, he's trying to make it so that the rules as they were stated in, in, the, in, in the infinite wisdom of the McMahon's fam McMahon family, they said that Baron Corbin would be able to choose the referee in his match against Seth Rollins. Instead of sitting there and going, you know what? It's not fair, but those are the breaks. I'm going to go ahead, I'm going to deal with it, and I'm going to beat Baron Corbin anyway, okay? Stone Cold Steve Austin did it. He just knocked out Vince McMahon, and he picked up his wrist and counted the one, two, three, and declared himself the winner. Whatever. He figured out a way to do it. And Seth Rollins is not supposed to be, and Stone Cold Steve Austin, you couldn't trust. He told you, don't trust anybody. He's a rattlesnake. Seth Rollins is not a rattlesnake. At least he says he isn't. He's certainly coming off as one, though. He is not coming across as a good guy. Meanwhile, on the other side, you got Kofi Kingston, who's fighting on the, on the, on the side of good every chance that he gets. He's being met with adversity everywhere that he goes, and he's simply fighting it. He is fighting against adversity at all, at all corners, and nothing can stop him. You throw him in a steel cage. He's not beating up the guy that manufactures steel cages. He's not finding a chair and trying to bludgeon the guy who builds the ring that they're going to put the steel cage on. No, he's saying, okay, I got a steel cage against this Dolph Ziggler who's had all of two matches this year, but whatever. If this is what they want, this is what they want. I'm the champion, and I'm going to go do it. That's why when Kofi Kingston shows up on Raw, he seems like the number one guy in charge. And when Seth Rollins shows up on SmackDown, Kofi Kingston is still the number one guy in charge because people sit there and they go, we can count on you, Kofi. You're a good man. We have faith in you. Seth, I don't know what your problem is right now. I don't know why you beat up Eric Young like that. Uncalled for. I don't know why you keep kicking Brock Lesnar in the genitalias. Uncalled for. Okay? People can win that title without kicking genitalias. It's not necessary. But Seth Rollins, no matter what good, how much of a good guy he proclaims himself to be, he's still looking for shortcuts. I don't know how you can get behind this guy. I just don't. I think that it's, uh, I think that it's insane, the idea that this guy is a, a role model or a good guy. Not a good guy, Seth Rollins. Evil. Can't be trusted. Can't be. This version of Seth Rollins is the same version that turned on the shield. And I think it's only a matter of time before we see his true colors. Can't be trusted, this Seth Rollins. No.
Speaking of Seth Rollins, story number three, and of course the prom king and the prom queen of the WWE, Seth Rollins and Becky Lynch. And the only reason I know they're dating is because it's been mentioned once or twice on WWE TV. But Becky Lynch has been nominated for an ESPY. So, of course, the ESPY are ESPN's awards. And this is big news this week. It's just breaking. Uh, the ESPYs are going to air on ABC on July 10th. Big deal, not on ESPN. And one of the categories, and this is big, is the best WWE moment. WWE is getting their own category. They're not a part of a category. WWE has their own award being presented at the ESPYs. Not the Slammies, the ESPYs. The ESPYs gather top celebrities from sports and entertainment to commemorate the past year in sports by recognizing major, major sports achievements. Uh, the show recognizes achievements in categories such as best MLB player, best team, best female athlete, best upset, um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's amazing that WWE has their own category. So the SB for best WWE moment I think you can vote uh, on WWE.com. The, ca uh, the nominations are Roman Reigns' triumphant return to Monday Night Raw. Becky Lynch wins both the Raw and SmackDown Women's Championship at WrestleMania 35. Kofi Kingston wins his first WWE Championship at WrestleMania 35. And Ronda Rousey captures her first WWE Women's Championship at SummerSlam. Good choices for sure in terms of best WWE moment. Um, I would definitely say Ronda Rousey is in fourth place. Um, honestly, the other three, I can't believe all three of those things happened in one year. Two of them on the same night. For me, I probably put Becky Lynch as three and Kofi Kingston as two. But I would totally accept somebody that reverses those two. And that really is only because... I mean, maybe the moment was bigger for Becky Lynch. I don't know if the moment was bigger for Becky Lynch, to tell you the truth. But I'll tell you this. In terms of champions, Kofi Kingston, is, is, is what he's done since WrestleMania, he's had the best couple of months since WrestleMania of anybody else on the WWE roster. So I give Kofi Kingston the number two spot. And then absolutely, Roman Reigns' return to Monday Night Raw is the winner there. I mean, there's no doubt in my mind that that should and probably will win that ESPY award. And I'm not mad at that. I think that that's exactly uh, uh, where the award should go. Roman Reigns' return on Monday Night Raw. I mean, when was the last time we saw anything like that? You know, and the reaction that he got and everything. I think, I mean, it was just a beautiful, beautiful moment. Wrestling fans everywhere, even the most cynical among us, were celebrating that. Now, I wonder how the ESPY award will go um, because I don't, Wrestling, WWE and wrestling and sports entertainment, it's just such a weird thing because I've had this conversation with Wade Keller on his podcast. I don't know how much crossover there is between sports and wrestling. Like, for instance, I'll watch the ESPYs to find out who wins this award, but I don't possibly care about any other award on the show. I don't care who wins any basketball awards, football awards, baseball awards, hockey awards, volleyball awards. Fencing awards. Doesn't matter to me. Actually, I'll probably watch the fencing awards too. But other than that, I don't care. And I think there are a lot of sports fans that don't care about wrestling. So 
it'll be interesting to see how that all plays itself out and where exactly on the show this moment is played and the degree of familiarity that the ESPN audience will have with all these moments. I'm interested in seeing how it plays out, you know. I I'm I think that the WWE does have a place on these mainstream award shows. You know, I really think that the WWE should be in much higher consideration for uh for the Emmy Awards, for the TV awards. You know, and you could say, "Why Russ sucks?" Well, you know something, you suck. I mean, you could say that, but lots of shows on TV suck. You know, I think that that, that Raw does enough. 52 episodes a year live I think Raw should absolutely be in the running and you look you know even if you I don't know where you'd categorize it sports show I don't know if that even is a category maybe reality show scripted show scripted reality assisted I don't know where it would go variety maybe maybe it would go in variety musical or comedy I don't know you'd maybe make a musical episode I don't know what you do I don't know where you put Raw in terms of the Emmys or SmackDown. Wouldn't it be funny if the if the if the all of a sudden the voting committee at the Emmys became giant wrestling fans and instead of just doing the obvious and voting for Raw, they were like, yeah, actually SmackDown's a lot better. We're gonna we're gonna nominate SmackDown. Nah, Raw's not getting the award this year. Well I, I know it's an honor to be nominated, but Raw's not getting nominated. SmackDown is though. Where they turn on the network and they're like, NXT got a nomination? Oh, Triple H would have to bury his head in the sand. I mean, it'd be a great moment for him, but I would imagine that everybody, like Vince McMahon would sit there and, what do you mean NXT? But uh, if this is where it starts, this is where it starts. I think that WWE does deserve a lot more inclusion um, in all of this mainstream conversation. I don't like that these conversations about mainstream TV shows, they never end up including wrestling shows. They act like wrestling shows are on this private island somewhere else, and I mean, I don't think that's fair. You know, Wrestling's a weird genre in the sense that it doesn't quite fall under the same category as The Walking Dead, but it also doesn't quite fall under the same category of Monday Night Football. It's it's a hybrid of the two. That's why it's called sports entertainment. But where does sports and entertainment fall? I guess that's why they invented the Slammies. They needed something. But congratulations to WWE, and I think that that's really cool that they're being uh, uh, that they have that uh, ESPYS category named after them. Story number two. And the reason this is story number two and not story number one is because you know I like to close with the uh, pay-per-view leading into the go-home. Story number two is All Out sells out. It took 15 minutes for All Out to sell out. It's the same building that All In was in last year um, in Chicago there. Uh, But after 15 minutes, I think they sold somewhere around 11,000 tickets. AEW sold out their second pay-per-view All Out. And... The way people are looking at these statistics show they did the way they sold these tickets were uh, they put them on sale obviously on the website and then you had to line up you had to enter into this uh, virtual line where it told you what your place was in line and it told you how many people were in front of you. I think that it was something like seventy thousand people online for these tickets. You know, I I think that the figure that I read was if everybody online for tickets bought tickets and you have to imagine that most people will buy two, it was something like 130 or 140,000 tickets were being accounted for. 
Some people are, are reporting this to say that there was more demand for All Out than there was for WrestleMania 35 at, uh, at MetLife there. Now, I think it is a major accomplishment for AEW to sell out in 15 minutes. Uh, again, by the way. I think it's a major accomplishment for them to build as much interest as they built into this show. All that being said, there's only one way to find out if they have the kind of interest that they're being credited for. And that's to move to a bigger venue. And I don't mean move all out to a bigger venue. That show is set. But, you know, if AEW wants to sit there and say, like, well, you know, we can do this number of people, move it to a dome. Let's do a dome show, you know. See if you can find a building you can get 50,000 people in. You know, you don't have to go right for 100,000. I'm not saying, okay, well, then fill a football stadium. I don't think that that's going to happen right now anyway. But fill a dome. Why not? You know? You're doing 10,000-seat arenas. That's awesome. Go 20, 30. Well, go, why not go 50,000 seats? If you're at 130,000, and if you can do that, then maybe that that's true. But I also think that there's a, a lot of factors to be built in here, right? Like, you know, realistically, I would imagine that the ticket selling system works similarly to the shoe selling system. And the thing is, when shoes go on sale, limited edition sneakers go on sale, they go on sale at a certain time using this app. And everybody signs on to the app at the same time trying to get the sneakers. But what people do is they have bots. They have bots where the bot represents, you know, many, 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 many accounts. And it allows people to have many, 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 many more opportunities to get those sneakers through the bots than if they were actually doing it as humans with a single account. So are there bots involved here? You know, are there people getting online for tickets that aren't actually going to buy tickets because they just want to see, you know, it's not like you actually have to stand up. There's a lot of stuff happening here. I can't concretely and scientifically say that if All Out had an unlimited number of seats because they hadn't determined the venue, whatever, that they would have sold 130,000 tickets. I think that that might be a stretch. 130,000 tickets is a ridiculous amount. But I don't think it's a stretch to say that they could sell a lot more than 10,000, that they could do a much bigger building than the one that they're in. And I do think that if AEW wants to make a statement and wants to show the world, hey, we're not selling to bots here. This is real life. I think AEW should go ahead and go for 50,000 next time. They've proven they can do 10,000. Go for 50,000. And let's roll the dice. Let's see where this goes. So you've got uh, Kenny Omega versus uh, 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 John Moxley. And you've got Chris Jericho versus Hangman Adam Page with the championship on the line. And this will be the last pay-per-view leading into AEW TV uh, coming in the fall. And this gives us between one to two months before AEW TV will actually start. So you do have to wonder, will there be more free shows like Fighter Fest? You know, kind of live events that they televise via the Bleacher Report app. I don't know. Uh, I would hope so. Just be just to keep the product, you know, in people's minds and and uh, and uh, keep everybody loose. You know, you know what I mean. Like, and I don't just mean the wrestlers. I mean everybody. Keep the product happening. Uh, 
But I think it's going to be real, real interesting when they're doing weekly TV, man. I think it's going to be real, real interesting. And uh, AEW continues to prove how healthy uh, the wrestling business really is right now. Stomping ground goes down on uh, Sunday. Number one story of the week. And I will, uh, maybe I'll do a pre-show and a post-show. I won't be on the stomping ground kickoff show. People go, why aren't you going to be on the kickoff show? Same reason Dennis Stamp wasn't going to be on Terry Funk's show. Because it wasn't booked. I'm not booked. Terry Funk's going to come to me and he's going to be like, Sam, I really want you to be at Stomping Ground. I wish you were there. I'd, I'd like you to be there. I'm not booked, Terry. Because I wasn't booked. But I'll be watching at home for sure. Um, and maybe I'll sign on to the Patreon page, patreon.com slash Wrestling, And we'll do, uh, maybe we'll do a pre-show and a post-show. We'll definitely do a post-show. But I could see, I'm not going to, maybe around like, uh, if WWE's pre-show comes on at, at 6, maybe we'll jump on the Patreon page, patreon.com slash wrestling, and we'll be live at 5.30 or so p.m. Eastern Standard Time uh, on Sunday, uh, and we'll do a little pre-show action. But in the meantime, let's run down what that card is going uh, is gonna to be. We're looking at uh, a lot of championships on the line, but before we get to championships, we've got two, only two, only two, only two non-title matches. Uh, the first announced uh this week and i was waiting to see this still i wouldn't be shocked that this gets moved to the kickoff show um not that it's not a huge match it's just you know the other matches are title matches uh biggie and xavier woods are going to be going two on two against kevin owens and Sami Zayn. and much like uh drew mcintyre was a little bit confused as to what brand he was on the new day is definitely still smackdown because kofi is in the new day and he's the wwe champion if you paid me money, I could guess what brand Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn are on, but I have no actual idea what brand those two superstars are on. They're in the wild card category for me. But we've got the New Day versus Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn. Uh, the New Day is Biggie and Xavier Woods. Uh, I definitely think Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn should win this match. No reason for the New Day to win. They've got Kofi Kingston in their group. He's the champion of the world. Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn could use the win, could use looking stronger, you know, just being great bad guys. Definitely think it should be Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn. The other uh, non-title match is a singles match, and that's Roman Reigns versus Drew McIntyre. As much as I love Drew McIntyre, as much as I loved having him on the show, I can't see. Roman Reigns has lost once, strangely enough. He's lost once since since coming back after recovering from leukemia, and that was to Shane McMahon. Shane O'Mac is Roman Reigns' only loss since coming back. I can't imagine that he's going to lose again. But if he does, I who do I want to win? Drew McIntyre. Who do I think is going to win? Roman Reigns. We got the women's championship on the line for SmackDown. Bailey versus Alexa Bliss. Uh, interesting because we haven't seen Alexa Bliss do that much singles wrestling lately. Um, I definitely think there'll be shenanigans in this match. Uh, I definitely think Nikki Cross is going to get involved. Uh, but I think Bailey will keep the title, and I think she should. I could see Alexa Bliss winning and then, uh, you know, eventually having Nikki Cross go after her, but I think more than likely Bailey will win. And if they're going to split up Nikki, and uh, they might start planting the seeds where, you know, Alexa Bliss just treats Nikki Cross like a piece of garbage. But I think uh, I think Bailey will keep the championship. The other women's championship is on the line as well. Raw women's championship, Lacey Evans versus Becky Lynch. 
Um, I'll tell you, if Becky Lynch wins this one, then I think that's the end of the conversation of potential championship reigns for Lacey Evans. If Lacey Evans wins this one, it's tremendous heat. There is a lot of benefit to Lacey Evans winning the Raw Women's Championship at this pay-per-view. People will hate Lacey Evans if she beats Becky Redbelt. But you also want to keep uh you also want to keep your 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 champions in a couple. I mean, I'm looking at what titles I think could potentially change hands. I think there's a real possibility that Lacey Evans walks out with the Raw Women's Championship at Stomping Grounds. I think there's a real possibility that that happens, and I think it'd be a good mood. I think you get a lot of people booing Lacey Evans if that happens. Uh, Seth Rollins is defending the Universal Championship against Baron Corbin with a special guest referee. If I had to guess, I would think Brock Lesnar is going to be the referee. I don't think that that's earth-shattering. That's not an earth-shattering prediction, but... He's beaten up most of the main roster, so who else do you have left? Unless it's going to be some kind of shocking surprise or something. I would imagine it'll be Brock Lesnar. Um, Yeah, and then maybe a cash-in at the end of the match. You know, I don't think Baron Corbin wins the title, but maybe Brock does. Who knows? We'll see. Uh, Steel Cage match, WWE Championship, Kofi Kingston versus Dolph Ziggler. This has Kofi written all over it. I think Dolph Ziggler... uh, might just be a holdover until we figure out what we're doing for SummerSlam with Kofi Kingston, which I hope is huge. Um, but yeah, I think Kofi Kingston wins that. Samoa Joe versus Ricochet for the United States Championship. Now that's interesting because Ricochet could fill the role the WWE may have wanted Rey Mysterio to fill with that title in the sense that he's small, in the sense that he flies around the ring, you can't keep track of him. I wouldn't mind seeing Ricochet win this match and walk out the United States champion uh, of the United States. I swear to God, I almost said United States champion of the world. <laughs> That's what I would call the title. I'm the United States champion of the world right now. What? Um, Yeah, I wouldn't mind seeing Ricochet walk out with the championship. Uh, you got the Cruiserweight title on the line. Drew Gulak, Akira Tozawa, and Tony Nese. Triple threat. Um... You know, I just think this is going to be a good match. I'd like to see Drew Gulak with that championship. He'd almost hold the title hostage. You know, not since Enzo have we had a good Mike heel with the Cruiserweight Championship. I really wouldn't mind seeing Drew Gulak with that title and just just pissing everybody off. And then you got the SmackDown Tag Team Championship on the line. Daniel Bryan versus and Eric Rowan versus Heavy Machinery. Uh, I love that Heavy Machinery is getting this opportunity, but I think it's all people's tag team champions. Planet's tag team champions. People's tag team champions are The Rock and The Rock. The Planet's tag team champions, that's who I've got all my money on. Now, I haven't uh, I haven't seen any Vegas betting odds or anything like that. I really don't look at them, but uh, yeah. That's who I would pick uh, in stom- at Stomping Ground uh, on Sunday. Uh, I'll be back here on Sunday. By the way, uh, if you get a chance... Pat McAfee started a wrestling podcast this week. It's called uh, Wrestling with Sports Entertainment. And I was blessed to be the first guest on his podcast. So if you'd like to hear more of Pat McAfee and myself together, you go over to wherever Pat McAfee podcasts are found, uh, and you can listen or watch on YouTube. Uh, Pat McAfee and myself do our thing. Uh, It'd be a good listen. If you've listened to this podcast and you're looking for more Sam Roberts content, check out... uh, Wrestling with Sports Entertainment, presented by Pat McAfee Incorporated.
It was a fun show to do. Um, and I had a good time. All right, guys. Speaking of a good time, I hope you guys had a good time. And I will see you next time right here on Not Sam Wrestling. Thanks for listening. Follow at Not Sam on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Rate, review, and subscribe. This has been Not Sam Wrestling. Don't forget, on your way out, get extra confidence in bed with BlueChew.com, the first chewable with the same FDA-approved active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis. BlueChew is for any guy who wants to enhance their performance, and it ships straight to your door in a discreet package. Visit BlueChew.com and get your first shipment free when you use our special promo code ROBERTS, R-O-B-E-R-T-S, just pay $5 shipping. That's B-L-U-E-Chew.com. Promo code Roberts to try it free. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.